That was In the Hall of the Mountain King, kind of. And this is the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. Today we're talking about M. I'm your host, Matt. I'll be joined during the show by Andrew. Stick around after the show for more information. Without further ado, this is today's show. Let's talk about M, the 1931 Fritz Lang movie starring Peter Lorre. So like the other Fritz Lang movie we talked about, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, uh, M is largely about um, Berlin slash German society in the 1920s, and it's crumbling. It's perceived crumbling. Perceived and real crumbling, I suppose. Yeah. This one, far more straightforward. Yep. Not as many super... No, not, not as many... Nowhere near as many ghosts. Yep. I would say zero ghosts in this movie, unless I'm forgetting any unless you're counting the ghost of Joe ghost of german prosperity oh nope i'm not counting that um <laughs> yeah no ghost in this movie um so the movie is about a child killer in berlin um and the hunt for him and the way the hunt distorts german society and interpersonal relationships it is driven largely uh, at least the second half of the movie is driven largely by the incredible performance by Peter Lorre. Yes. What did you think of uh, M? Um, having seen Mad Love already, mm-hmm. Peter Lorre does way better in his native language. Yeah. Like, he seems like, if you watch Mad, something like Mad Love, he seems kind of like a character actor. And you watch M, you realize he's a real actor. <laughs> yeah, M, M, yeah. Yeah, this is this is one of the best film performances of all time. Certainly one of the best up until at, until up nineteen thirty one. Probably one of the defining film performances. Yeah, of that of the thirties. I also thought this movie was very good. Yeah, like I liked it, is a very it a good lot. Movie. Yep. So, what did you like about it specifically? Well, I liked just basically you know, at the core, it's got it's got a strong plot. You know, the movie goes well. It's paced in a way that you know it hits. It starts by I think all the basic movie checkpoints of like this is a successful and exciting movie, and I feel like you know I feel its pace. It doesn't feel like it gets bogged down too much in any one spot. Nothing seems a little, nothing seems a little bit too absurd to be going on, and it's, it does a very good point of conveying its very clear message of society falling apart and not taking care of its future generations. Because, although the movie never points it out, really, pretty much throughout the entire movie, kids are always left on their own. There's constantly children unsupervised. Like, even, like, despite all the warnings, everything people, despite everyone putting up a big fuss about it, there's still constantly kids running around unsupervised. And I think a movie that can succeed in sort of relaying its message without being really in your face about it is an important thing because in it, it makes you realize something's going on without feel like you're being preached to and then like because some people can be find that obnoxious and be resistant to it and then not mm-hmm. want to learn their lesson yeah yeah in this movie i mean with the probable exception of the actual like literal end of the movie yeah it doesn't beat you over the head with that message at all no no because it's kind of Go ahead. There's like these, you know, these these 
huge crowds of people like chasing around like he looked at a kid he must be the child killer and while they're doing that there's like five no, kids no. running past them like no, yeah, one no one's no one's actually looking after the kids but um yeah at, at the end of the movie obviously there's the crying mother who says won't someone please think of the children or something like that to that effect just yeah. which I've, I've always disliked that part of this, this part of that that part of the movie i don't know why it just seems silly to me you're definitely right. This is a very, very well put together movie. Very suspenseful, um, very well paced, and um, the message is very on point and constantly reflected. Yes, reflected rather than like projected. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think two things stand out very well in this movie. As I really like the guy's like Chuck hand with yeah, the big, but... the big fat M. Yep, that was that's one of the best. That's certainly one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. It's also a very, it's a very exciting, a very cool scene in the movie where the one of the when the uh, without you know, I guess I'll be skipping ahead in the plot a little bit, but um, the cr- both the criminals and the police are searching for the child killer, and uh, the criminals enlist the help of a army of homeless people, and one of the homeless people recognizes um, Hans Beckert. Who's the child killer played by Peter Laurie? Yeah, uh, from his whistling of the Hall of the Mountain King, which is the other thing I was going to mention. Yeah, which is a great little iconic motif, and and uh, he marks him with an M, a chalk M, and then there's a great scene where they're they're sort of trailing different homeless people are trailing Becker to the city with the chalk M because he doesn't realize it's on him yeah. until he eventually does realize it's on him, and then they but then they sort of pursue it's too it late. in yeah, earnest. It's too late. And that leads into that other longer scene where they're. Um, they're like invading that building that sort of office complex yeah all the Where criminals he... and then they stage that courtroom scene and he does his little his final plea for understanding but yeah Which... you did you want to you want to say something about the motif of the uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King well I'm not familiar with sort of the the Hall of the Mountain King would be more be a far more contemporary recording at that point, right? Or is it from like way earlier? Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that at all. Let me look. Um, I'm already way ahead. Hold on. Okay. 1867. Okay, so I mean, it's a little bit closer than. Yeah. And this was definitely more sort of like, I guess, has pop music as we know it sort of taken in at this point? Yeah. There, well, I mean, in the Hall of the Mountain King wouldn't be contemporary. Like, no. there's there's jazz and there's. Okay, cabaret yeah. and there's stuff like that at this point show tunes even but i mean and even in the day of the hall of the mountain king there's i think there's a clear class divide between things like in the hall of the mountain king which are classical pieces yes and like popular music which is whatever bar songs and things right okay but yeah i know what you're saying it's it's not as far away yeah it's not as far in the past it doesn't feel like so it doesn't feel like it's clearly like a movie theme sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know how some there, some classical pieces have been sort of played to death and they're just kind of like cues of very specific scenarios. So okay. I'm not, not knowing that and not knowing 100% like what, you know, the origin of the song itself. I'm not sure what it's supposed to evoke, like whether that is a very deliberate choice, although it probably very much was a very deliberate choice. But... Just the sound itself was very—it's very iconic, and mm-hmm. it sticks out, and it became a very good audio cue 
for the Peter Lorre character. Yeah, and, and this is at a time when, like, as you as you probably noticed, a lot of the movies, the sound is, um, they're still learning how to use sound as an effective tool for storytelling. Yeah. So for them to have come up with this idea in uh, uh, 1931, it's pretty cool. It's also a very grim movie. It's a very exceedingly grim movie. It's there's like it's it's about a child murder and it very much tells you like, oh there he murders a child in the movie, not like yeah in your face as you watch it. But well, yeah, there's no, but there's no, there's never any violence on screen. No, which is it's all implied violence and just sort of like the dread of violence later on. Mm-hmm. Because you sort of see you along with the people of the city begin to see the same pattern that he goes through, and you like you sort of watch it again. And you're like, this couldn't happen again, could it? Like, shouldn't these people know better by now? Because he just goes through like the same thing. Like, oh, let me get you some candy, and like, like I already watched this part. The, the detectives already went through all this. They already visited all these locations, and he's just going to them again. Yeah, I just wonder like what, yeah. No, it's it's true. So I like. I, I wonder part. what he's trying. What Fritz Lang is trying to say about Berlin and Germany, like with this movie and also with the Mabuse. I think it seems like they're sort of like they're letting their society fall apart. That sort of it's very easy for radicals to sort of slip through the fingers of society and become a detriment to it. Because that's in the same way, you know, like, Dr. Mabuse fell through. Like, he's... They, these people were able to just sort of commit these, like, ridiculous crimes. There's this underground crime organization that no one was really on top of for a long time. Hmm. According to the Wikipedia page, uh, Fritz Lang spent eight days inside a mental institution in Germany and met several real child murderers Well. Uh, researching the film. Oh, I mean, that's some dedication to craft. Mm-hmm. And I, ge- I guess a dedication to realistic portrayal. Because hmm. that's something I think he does that in this movie that is probably the most effective thing is that he takes the, you know, the Peter Laurie character and he does his best to not overly demonize it. Because it's very easy to take someone like a like a person like this and heavily like, just yeah. say like they're a monster. Yeah, he could just be like snatching children up and put baking them into pies right in front of you. Or even but if instead... he were, even if he's just doing regular murder things, it's very easy, like with like yeah. the nature of the crime to monsterize him. But the film portrays him like, oh no, this is a person. Because yeah. regular people do these things. This right. is the thing that people do, not weird monsters that are somehow this split off part from human from humanity. This is something a person does, and that's 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 aided uh, large uh, in large part by Laurie's performance as well. Yeah, it's a very not it's, you're not necessarily it's a sympathetic to sympathy. Even though you're it's probably a sympathetic not performance, sy- though it's yeah. not that he's a sympathetic character because he's obviously not. But that Laurie is, Laurie does such a good job of humanizing them that you can almost sympathize with him. Right, you begin to remember. Oh, right, this is like a person. That these are things that people do. And hmm. 
it's saying a lot of things. And it, remi- it reminds you that art had not, even though this is an early art form, art had been around for a very long time. And people had heard about metaphors before. Right. Yeah. And social commentary. Some Sometimes that can get lost when an art form becomes newer and it's like less polished. Yeah. It depends on... Sometimes they're so you're so concerned with with uh, like form, you're not as concerned about function, I suppose. Yeah, you're just gonna go, oh well, this this form has no good stories in it. It's like as if stories had just been invented, you know, at the, at the at the inception of film, you know, mm-hmm. or at the inception of comic books. Like, oh well, th- of course these stories are bad because they're old. Like that doesn't make sense because stories have been around since what? Ever? Since forever? Yeah, exactly. Since skate paintings? Yeah, Probably since even before. What's the earliest the earliest recorded like what novel is what like Gilgamesh, and that's yeah. what probably like two thousand BC. What BC that's, is that? I don't know when Gilgamesh came out. Uh, about yeah, about twenty eight twenty eight hundred to twenty five hundred BC. Okay, so there you go. So it's been you know almost five thousand years of stories. At this point, like learn to tell a story. There's no excuse for telling a bad story. Yeah, but to be fair, Gilgamesh sucks, dude. I mean, Gilgamesh is the very first one, all right? It they, has, didn't get it. They, haven't, they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Well, he was figuring, they were figuring out, you know, stories in general, you know, from mass consumption. Like, give him a break. It's his first try. So, uh, do you think this movie is more or less of a horror movie than Dr. Mabuse? Mm. I think it's less of a horror movie than Dr. Mabuse. I think Dr. Mabuse is more traditional, like, and like I just said, in the, in the fact that this movie tries to heavily humanize the Peter Laurie character, mm-hmm. yep. I think it makes him less. I think it makes him a less traditional monster movie because I think monster and horror movies are about very inhuman monsters that you know. At most, they are metaphors, mm-hmm. and then a lot of times they're just literal monsters. Like I'm a scary thing that's going to hurt you. I mean, I I agree with you that Mabuse uh, is probably more of a horror movie. I don't. I think I don't think I would go as far as to say that. That's like a rule for horror movies that the that the villain has to be unlikable, or that he has. To, I'm not unlikable, I guess. Um, that he has to be uh, uncharacterized. No, I don't necessarily mean unca- uncharacterized. I just mean you know that he can't be. A, well, that he can't be. Yeah, I guess that is. Kind of, I guess what I'm saying that he can't be a a character like Hans Becker. You know. All right. Yeah, I, think, I just. I think I've never th- thought there's about there's more than. Th- I mean, just I just like there's more than I. Re- Looking at the universal horror movies, like I see why, like if if that was if that was the entirety of horror movies, then I would agree with you. But I think there's more more to that than that. Also, my horror movies are my horror movie knowledge also comes from like, you know, for a long time, slasher movies are horror movies, which are very much like universal horror movies. Yeah, well, the, yeah. Jason and Freddy are modern day versions of the gothic monster characters, for sure. In the sense that they don't have motivations other than murder and um, murder, yeah. Well, I mean, like Dracula and Freddy Krueger have sexual aspects to their murdering. Yeah, but you know, but I was trying to think of a, a uh, <laughs> like a polite way to say Freddy Krueger wants to have sex with children, but I couldn't think of it. I don't think there is a polite way. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Maybe not. Yeah, not polite. Maybe, but uh, I don't know. There's no other way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is constantly appears on the, um, like the top, hundred movies of all time kind of lists. Right at the top. Yeah, it's very good. It's a very good movie. It's very modern. 
And a lot, that seems that's a weird compliment that things can get. But it, it's not really a com. It's hard to describe if modern is a compliment. It, I don't think it's it's just a it's just an observation, right? Like it's a yeah. This feels like this feels a lot more like a complete movie than some of the other movies do because yeah because I think it's more like modern filmmaking has come around to this level over time. Modern commercial filmmaking. Yeah. Well, yeah. When I say Cir- mo- circled back around. When I say modern, I mean modern isn't a compliment so much as it is the absence of an insult. Yeah. I'm saying as opposed to something like this, because well, a lot of old things can feel incredibly dated, mm-hmm. either because of subject good, yeah. matter or just, you know, cultural. Like maybe it's like they hit some weird cultural points that we that were far past nowadays. Mm-hmm. Or you know, just baby steps past. The jazz singer. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so a modern movie feels like, oh, if this could have come out yesterday, and it would make perfect sense. I mean, they still make black and white movies, so. This doesn't feel like there's anything particularly old about this movie. It's actually in good quality. Like, the like the film that's left is still in, like, relatively stable quality. Didn't get, like, no one stepped on it and threw in the garbage at all. Right. Or lit on fire for yeah, some well, reason. They always knew this was a keeper. Yeah. Hopefully. Also, so, is, is Loman like a um, a stock Fritz Lang character? Well, Because he was in this and Mabuse. Yeah, I think those are the only two movies he's in. Oh. <laughs> just a coincidence that I watched them both? Yeah, well... Yeah, it's just a coincidence. There are two Fritz Lang horror-ish movies from the 30s that he's yeah. in them both. I don't know. But yeah. Not really a coincidence because I, I these are the two I asked you to watch. <laughs> coincidence would be like if you just randomly watch these two movies and you're like, oh, there's Inspector Loman again. Well, the coincidence is that Loman happened to be in these two movies that you asked me to watch. Yeah, true. I guess, or maybe not. Maybe not. So maybe you, you think that you think that Laurie was a much worse actor in this movie than he was in, um, I mean, a much better actor in this movie than he was in Mad Love. Yeah, well, because in Mad Love he feels more one note. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not one note, but he feels more like he is playing. Like, he feels more like he just, he's a person who plays a specific character. Yeah. Like, he feels, well, I, more, yeah. he feels more like a Lugosi type. He, I think he does, he does kind of get pushed into Lugosi territory after this, because of M, actually, I believe. Because he was pretty much a villain all the time after that. Oh. Yeah, because he, but this is like, he's he's a villain, he has like a range in this. That he he's, he's, he's someone who could do, have done a lot more. Maybe even, maybe much more so than like Bela Lugosi. Yeah, but he did, a range he didn't really have as much in Mad Love, where he was more just like shades of creep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, the only other movie that I've seen Peter Lorre in is I well I've seen a, I saw him in some like a, some, a couple sixties, Roger Corman movies which he's like barely in or like barely acting and he's just kind of mumbling around and like holding a cave up to his face. Yeah, stuff like that. But he's I've seen I saw him in. Uh, I believe he's in the Maltese Falcon. I think he was pretty good on that. I think he played one of the bad guys in the Maltese Falcon. Right. The Humphrey Bogart movie. Does that conclude our discussion of M? Oh, yeah, I, think I, hit all my, I think I hit all my M points. Okay. I finished my bullet points.
Thanks for listening to Andrew and I talk about M. If you liked the show, check out our website, goldenagehorror.com, for more information, articles, and show notes. I just wrote an article this week about Peter Laurie. You can also find our past episodes on our website, or on iTunes, or on Stitcher. There's an ebook available on Amazon called All Godless Here that I wrote that you can check out on the subject of 30s horror movies. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash allgodlessyear. Let me know if you like the show. Email matt at goldenagehorror.com or you can find me on Twitter at The Water Method. Tell Andrew that you like him or maybe if you don't like him, you can find him on Twitter at Pizza Pranks. His website where he talks about games he's designing is pizzapranks.com. Tune in next week where we kick off James Whale January. We're going to talk about Frankenstein. Our theme music is the Swan Lake Dub by Devology. Thanks for listening.